correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello, Steve. Oh, hello, Steve. And we have a very important guest this week. But before we get into that, let's talk about the Wondrous Atlas. Yes, the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny. Which Aha. may well be the longest podcast title on the D20 Radio Network. But that's okay. Because it's a really cool podcast. It is a really cool podcast. And uh, Aramithius and Rials host it. They are uh, a couple of UK-based individuals. They're very much fun to talk to. We had them on for an episode a little while back. But uh, yeah, Wondrous Atlas is a podcast all about Exalted. And I believe... <sighs> I forget... They they kind of span all the editions and, and talk about the differences between them. And what they typically do is they pick something and do a deep dive on it. And like, usually they'll do their episodes kind of like in pairs where one will be kind of a deep dive on the lore of it. And then the other half will be a dive on how you can use it in your game, depending on what edition you're playing, et cetera. Yeah. Really helpful tools over there for, for, um, that system in that game which is really cool i i I, i'm still interested in playing some exalted uh just slowly slowly (laughs) (laughs) yes all right well with that let's go ahead and get into our guest we want to welcome back jt domino yes hey 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 how you doing steve steve Uh, not so bad how about you hey can't complain yeah um if you keep calling me an important guest, I think I'm going to have to come on more often. <laughs> well, because you're like the PR guy for the network, you're sort of important, at least. Ah, fair, fair. All right. At least in uh, our eyes. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it was great getting to uh, meet both of you at uh, Gamer Nation Con this year. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited to go back to that next year. And, oh, man. And get everything I'm looking forward to myself. I have to. I haven't missed a year since I... When I think it was number five was my first one. Yeah, I, I apologize because that when we you and I got to play together, I believe it was Sunday morning. By which point, I was apparently not nearly as awake as I thought I was. <laughs> oh no, no, you were great actually. Uh, that game on Sunday morning, which was uh, Monster of the Week uh, for our listeners at home, uh, that was probably like some of the most fun I've ever had at the Air Nation Con. Just uh, we had a great group and uh, everyone really fed well off of each other. Lots of uh, back and forth role playing and laughs. So, I mean, what more could you ask for? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. I had a pretty fantastic game about midday Saturday. That I'm pretty sure everybody that all, anybody that those players let talk to them long enough heard about that game. Was that when you played <laughs> Ghostbusters? No, that was when I played. It wasn't us meddling kids. Ah, uh, okay. I couldn't remember which, what you played when. And Terry and all those people were like, this, <laughs> this was amazing. Yes. Um, so, but speaking of amazing things, 
you wanted to come on and talk about sort of player knowledge versus character knowledge and some things around metagaming, essentially? Uh, yeah, basically. You know, I just had been giving it a lot of thought recently, and so I sort of just, like, pitched the idea to a Steve and uh, thought it would be a good idea for an episode, and I volunteered myself onto the show, so. Well, you know, I mean, you're fun to talk with, you're fun to hang out with, so why not? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, not a problem, not a problem. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so uh, player knowledge versus character knowledge and kind of like challenging players versus challenging the characters, you know, sort of two sides of the same coin. And, you know, obviously those are uh, sort of like two uh, different things when we're talking about the player versus the character, although, you know, some people can get really into it and it can be hard to uh, tell the difference at times, but... uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've been known to play characters that are a little bit like me on occasion. (laughs) <laughs> hey i mean I've, i'm not I've complaining been, either but i've been known to play characters that are i don't know a little too close to home quite as well <laughs> hey man if you can embody your character more power to you that's sort of like role you know role playing right you're supposed to be getting into the role so if you can you know whatever works yeah no but i think you know you do bring up an inter- interesting point and you know, there's also some points around that in, into, you know, how you GM and, and what things you include as a GM, you know, if you're GMing the game, you know, and, and not the player, you know, because as the GM, when you're running NPCs, of course, you have the fiat of you can make up how the character you're portraying knew the thing. And because yeah. you're the GM, well, yeah, it works. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah. go ahead. Oh, no. Um. Okay, so yeah, like, but there there are elements to games, and especially you know some of what a lot of people consider to be some of the classic elements of specifically like dungeon crawl RPGs are in some ways often actually more aimed at the players than the characters, and I I don't know that that's a bad thing, but I think it's something you need to be aware of as as a game master. Oh, yeah, for sure. That was actually something I was going to bring up if uh, you didn't was that uh, kind of when you talk about, you know, like the origins of role playing games and Dungeons and Dragons in particular, I'd say, uh, you know, they came from the war games, which basically was, you know, strategy. And, you know, you had to sort of think and, you know, as the player, you know, you're doing all all this uh, maneuvering and, you know, trying to come up with plans and how are you going to attack and defend all this other stuff. And so obviously uh, role-playing sort of uh, was born out of that. And you can definitely see that influence from like the early role-playing games like that. And uh, uh, you can definitely see that they were aiming more for the player. Although obviously it being a role-playing game, you know, it it was interesting because you still have to have sort of that duality there of, uh, you know, you're going to challenge the player but you still have to have, you know, something going on with the uh, character. But, you know, that, you know, it, it wasn't as uh, distinct of a line and there wasn't as much emphasis on, oh, you know, what is my character's personality or, you know, things like that. You know, and it's a lot of, more of uh, sort of like challenging the player to, you know, look for traps and, you know, figure out like how they would approach that situation. And, you know, so definitely uh, has evolved over the years. And I'd say that um, I think a lot of mainstream games these days um, incorporate ways to allow you to 
focus more on the characters and mechanics specifically for what the characters are doing or know versus, you know, what the player might know. True, true. Yeah, it, it, and I mean, it varies so much by the system too, right? But I think it even more is, is really very subjective to your play group, you know, and, and how you as a collective choose to kind of view things, right? Like, you know, this kind of, to me, ties into to the conversation we've had with various people about horror games and how in horror games, very often in character, you're making what from a third person perspective are very suboptimal decisions. But in the context of the game, it feels like either narratively or at least from a perspective of amusing ourselves as the participants in the game, the appropriate thing to do, you know, as opposed to the, oh, I want to keep my character alive thing to do. Yeah, yeah, that you actually brought up some uh, really great points. And uh, so first off, I definitely agree with you about the subjectivity of it. And, uh, you know, I am a big proponent of the idea that uh, the, you know, what's, you know, the right way to play is basically whatever uh, is the most fun for the group. And obviously, every group is going to have different ideas of, you know, what's the, you know, best, you know, best way to do things or, you know, like, what do we want to focus on? And obviously, it also can vary by the game or system. But, you know, if you have a group of players who uh, are really into, uh, you know, that that sort of like uh, getting into their character and trying to do and talk like, you know, the character and, you know, make sure that uh, there isn't sort of as much of a distinction, then you're probably going to want to focus more on challenging uh, the characters because the goal is to sort of uh, embody the characters and make decisions based on how your characters think and not necessarily like what you think is the best decision. Like you were saying with horror, you know, um, you know, d definitely a uh, big part of that genre kind of is people doing stupid things kind of, you know, like, oh, why are you going into the basement alone? You know, <laughs> you know, when you heard the weird noise, you know, that seems like a really dumb thing to do in reality. But, you know, if you're trying to emulate that genre, then uh, that's a great way to do it is to, you know, sort of think about how would this work in like a horror story or film or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I think in, in some cases, not to, to, jump at, way ahead because I, I don't know all the points that you know you've got in mind but you know there there is a stigma at times about people will, will only do what you know operate under the assumption of what your character would know well yes but i think that brings into brings up the question of are we playing the games as a participant or as an audience member with a vote does that make any sense yeah, for sure. And by that, if, if anyone out there is looking at their, you know, phone or whatever you listen on and going, what the hell does he mean? What I mean is, are we playing the game solely from the viewpoint of the character that you're portraying? Or are you playing the game and viewing it as a story that you happen to have a significant potential impact on by the choices you make? in the elements that you have control on, you know, are, are you playing as your character, you know, Chucky, the barbarian, or are you 
you know, one of a community directing the movie that Chucky the Barbarian happens to be in. And I'm not, I don't know that either one is right, wrong, or however, just, you know, it, it is a thought to have around that. Yeah, and it's a uh, very good thought, and I really like that you uh, brought that up. And I, I think we'll probably end up going back to this a lot as we're talking. But, you know, I again, I really think that it's going to be up to sort of like the group and what everyone feels comfortable with. And uh, also what I was thinking of when you were talking about that is uh, how important uh, setting expectations is at the beginning of a uh, campaign. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you have uh, players who, for example, maybe feel really uncomfortable with the role-playing or they really have a hard time sort of getting into the heads of their characters specifically, but, you know, they enjoy playing it, uh, you, you know, just because it's uh, fun and it allows them the opportunity to sort of uh, have, you know, solve puzzles or, you know, strategize to, you know, fight the enemies and stuff like that, then maybe uh, having that separation there and having some challenge to the player rather than the character might be more appropriate. I definitely have had players in my games that felt really uncomfortable, like role playing or like talking like their character would talk. And so like, for example, with like social situations, you know, depending on your group, you know, some groups might want to actually have a player make the argument or speech that their character is supposed to be making and base, you know, sort of like the success or difficulty based off of like what points that person is making. But uh, for other people, you know, they may not feel comfortable with that or be the uh, best talker in real life. And so uh, that's where mechanics like in a lot of uh, modern editions of games um, where you can have like social checks and things like that can really come in handy. And uh, it you know, and I, I think that there's room for both of those. And it really just depends on your particular group and the game you're playing and, you know, what everyone feels most comfortable with. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say one thing that I found that sort of helps with that trepidation is people are intimidated by trying to do voices. And one thing that I've really tried to break down as far as a barrier in my games is you, you don't have to do a voice for your character, right? Like if your character talks in your voice, that's okay. Nobody at the table is going to judge you because you're not like, oh, you didn't affix a, a fake British accent. That's not a problem. It's fine. <laughs> and, and I've I've really worked with my players because I've run into that in the past where people are like, oh, but I, I can't do a voice. It's like, oh, you don't have to. Don't do a voice. Talk to me like you would normally. Tell me what your player, what tell me what your character says. And everybody at the table can make up their own, you know. If they sound like you, they sound like you. If they don't, and you want them to sound like this, and but you can't keep that voice up, that's fine. Not everyone's a professional voice actor. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just all there is to it. That's one thing that I've found that helps break down some of those barriers is to get people comfortable with just, just role play. Just, you don't have to be extra. Nobody's recording this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, even if Unless you're are. doing actual play, you know. But. Even then, even then, <laughs> I, for our actual plays, it's it's us screwing around. So, I, yeah, I mean, I can't keep the accent for my own character straight, much less whether anyone else is. The only way I could do, and the only way I have effectively done an accent for a game, is when I affect my local hick accent. 
You know the local hick accent, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I, I affect an accent that is effectively my cousin. And <laughs> I think the only one I've ever kept straight was my smart-ass uh, French. French guy, yeah. And even then, you dropped in and out of it. I mean, yeah. you know. But it's, yeah. I think that's one thing. And then, here's a trick I love doing. I uh, I love coming up with a puzzle in game and then showing up at the table with, let's say, a Rubik's Cube or a metal puzzle and handing it to my players and going, this wow. is what you find. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. And like, yeah. I, I, I would definitely like that type of thing. Cause I, I, as a player, I do enjoy puzzles and trying to think, uh, you know, figure things out myself. And I'm right with you on the uh, accents, by the way, especially if I'm GMing, you know, I try, I'll start out usually a session and I'll be doing different voices. And eventually it's just as more and more characters come into play, I just can't do it anymore. And I end up just sort of naturally falling back into my own voice a lot of times. And, you know, just saying like to hell with it, you know, this is, uh, you know, more trouble than worth, but. Yeah, I've gotten like three voices for three main characters that I can do. And that's about it. That's I, I, I'm not going to do them here because they're not good, but. I, like I said, I have three voices for like three main characters. That's all I can do as a GM. Everybody else gets Steve voice. <laughs> um, That'll be bonus content for the uh, for the episode. Yeah. yeah huh? um, but yeah, the puzzle thing. I don't know what I, I, I had that like realization a couple of years ago of like, well, why don't I? Because I, I love those. Uh, they're the Hanma metal puzzles, like fiddly $10, $20 sometimes. Mm. And because I love to fidget with things. And I was like, these would be great to set at a table and then describe in game and then just be like, figure it out. And you can see who's the puzzle solvers and who aren't. And mm -hmm. and letting them just hash it out and be like, well, but what if it turns, does it turn that way? No, it doesn't turn. Oh, one of the tricks I like to do is I'll take the player that says that they're not good with puzzles and stick them in a room with a puzzle, but with an earshot of the other players. So the other players have to narrate them through solving this puzzle. Because there's usually, usually, not always, one person in that group that's really good in real life at puzzles. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's definitely one way to do it, for sure. Um, that is, yeah, it's a different way to do it, but I kind of like, and, and I think, you know, just going back to one of the points we made earlier, though, puzzles are very much a challenge for the player as opposed to the character in the end in the end yes but narratively you can still make them a challenge for the character yeah you oh, can yeah. still pick the character like i pick on my character my, my player characters get picked on it's it's just a consequence of playing at my day my my game uh mm -hmm. and and i usually pick on the like quote-unquote low intelligence characters to do puzzles because I know the player's not low intelligence, so I don't have to, you know, I'm not being rude or anything like that, but I know that their character is, and I know that that can cause some, uh, what have I called it in the past, mental splinters, making people try to think about how their lower, their, their less experienced character might solve a puzzle that they themselves would have no issues with. Yeah, and I, I think that that is... Uh... Totally cool way to do things with the um, 
qualifier that obviously that you know obviously you know your group pretty well when you're doing this so like you probably know that they're comfortable being put in those situations right yeah you're that's not a that's not a do that at a con game because i think people would be like whoa yeah i think that like you said i think you do need to very much you know that has to be a i'm familiar with this table technique yeah yeah that's a very i'm uh I know you guys, or I know you folks, and I know what this is going to go like. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I generally probably wouldn't do that with a con game just because I think it would make things a little bit too complicated and there are a lot of potentials for issues or other things. But if you want to do it with a con game, I think it would be possible. You just have to sort of set the expectations at the beginning and make sure like, hey, everybody, I had an idea that I wanted to do like an actual puzzle as part of this one shot or something like that, you know, is everyone cool with actually trying to solve this puzzle in real life, you know, and as long as everyone's cool with giving that a try, then why not? You know? Well, and then there's games that that's their whole premise, like dread dread is a game based around playing Jenga or a Jenga tower, I should say. And when the Jenga tower falls, player characters go and, and, you know, that's the entire point of that game is it's, it's a, Mixture of the dexterity puzzle that is Jenga plus a horror RPG, which makes for a really tense, fun game. But it, it is still an, it, it, a meta puzzle, essentially. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually haven't gotten to play Dread uh, in person, but I definitely know of Dread. And man, I've been trying to get it on the table. And I just haven't found the opportunity. But, you know, Halloween is coming up, you know, in the next month or so. So... Actually, uh, maybe that'll be something I can plan for my uh, local group. I had a buddy that was hounding me. And when I say hounding me, I mean, like, it was almost every day. It was to a point where I was like, dude, he was like, you got to run Dread for me. You got to run Dread. You got to run Dread. I'm like, fine. It's your birthday. I'll be nice. I'll run Dread. And we had a great time. I knew we were going to. It was just like one of those things where it was like, come on. So, yeah, we I ran it. It's great. It's fantastic. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's a, it's playing Jenga while also role-playing. Yeah, that can be a lot of fun. And um, not to circle back too much, but I was thinking about what you were saying earlier with making your character or your players comfortable, you know, just like speaking in their own voice potentially. And uh, yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. And I've definitely tried to get my players to understand like, hey, I'm not going to pressure you. You know, you can play your character however you want. You can do voices. You could not do voices. You can say what your characters are literally saying, or you can, you know, give me a summary of what they're saying, which um, I think is also a good alternative, too, for players who might not be comfortable. Like, for example, if they're giving a speech or trying to convince someone of something, even if they can't say exactly what they are telling another character, sort of one thing removed from that could be like, okay, you know, like I, you know, point out how you know, this thing is in their best interest and, you know, they could make a lot of money if they go along with it or, you know, things like that. And so, you know, you're not literally speaking as your character, but you can at least sort of get into the headspace of your character and be like, what would my character say without having to actually act it out and be a good talker? Yeah, and I I even accept, like, I've told players before, hey, look, if you just want to give me a basic summary of what you're trying to say, we can, you know, figure out some way that this works out amicably. You know what I mean? Like, some people have a hard time expressing major, major thoughts or 
long speeches or anything like that. And I've just been like, okay, I get that. You don't want to give a long winded speech. Give me the Cliff's Notes version of it, and we will be kosher with that. Right. It will, and like, and this gets into I think one of the kind of the classic arguments about this, right? Because you'll have the player who, because they, the player, can very effectively, you know, persuade whatever they want to get up and give this, you know, big long-winded whatever, and they don't have the stats to back it up. Where you also have the player who can't do that, you know, as far as as a player, but they like, well, I got the stats. I just want to roll for it. And I think this gets to a question too of as much as you want to reward people for very good role play, you have to be careful doing that, that you don't do it in a way which effectively penalizes someone who just doesn't have the ability to role play the things that their character is good at. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I, I definitely agree with you there, Steve. Uh, and, and I think that really just, you know, sort of emphasizes the importance of the, again, the group that you're playing with and also potentially the uh, game or system that you're playing because you know some games will sort of have you know okay you know you've got your charisma check or something like that or you know like a knowledge check of some sort to see whether or not your character would know this thing even if you as a player would have no idea potentially Mm -hmm. um but uh if and even in those systems where they have those i do know of people and i've done it myself too for groups that were into it you know I, instead of having them roll the check, I will just say like, hey, if you can give me like a good argument for, you know, why, you know, why uh, a character should do this or like if you can, you know, give like try to convince me as the NPC why I should let you pass or whatever, you know, then no need to roll. I'll just let you go because, you know, if it makes sense to them, then why not? See, I do that kind of reverse, though. I go to my players and say, you have the opportunity here to convince them, or if you choose to roll, you can roll. And just let them pick whether they want to roll dice or not. Oh yeah, I think that's great. I'm a little weird in that sense, because I, I like to just, you know, if you feel like you can't sufficiently express in words why you should get this, but you feel your character can, roll dice, and and you're good to go. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think you're necessarily weird. I think that's a good way of doing it because it will accommodate sort of players that prefer one way or the other. Where it well, could get kind of dicey. I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, where it could get kind of dicey, I imagine, though, is when you start getting players uh, getting salty or disagreeing over, like, oh, well, you know, they can convince them, you, you know, and succeed, but I'm not a good talker in real life. And then, you know, my character, you know, might also not be the best at convincing. So I feel like, you know, I'm at a disadvantage, you know. And then also, like, if you can convince them, but if in reality your character isn't great at talking, then maybe that isn't the most realistic thing. So, you know, those are things you have to consider and balance, too. And that's, again, why I go with the, you know, you have the opportunity to do it one way or another. And anytime that there's some sort of So anytime that there's any sort of disagreement like that that comes up, I usually go to the party and go, maybe there's somebody else that can help you convince this person. You know, not every not every conversation has to be a one sided conversation, right? Like it doesn't have to always be between two people. 
Yeah, no, actually, that's really cool because that's encouraging interaction between the players. Right. Yeah. I And also, um, you, you saying that reminded me of, like, you know, there are a lot of times in games are mechanics for, like, aiding or helping another person. And sometimes there's, like, mechanics behind that and things like that. But uh, even if you wanted to do it sort of, like, just, you know, as almost, like, in a role-playing sense, like, hey, you know, you feed them lines or whatever, you know, it can actually work out really well. And you can sort of uh, have, you know, both elements there kind of in the game. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that's, I. even if there isn't rules for aiding or assisting in that way, I usually come up with something on the fly and be like, hey, let's do this. Um, you know, you two are having a conversation with that guy. It's two on one. I'll reduce the check and, you know, give you some sort of bonus because you're both trying to trying to convince somebody. Mm-hmm. It, and statistically, more than one person saying the same thing is more likely to make somebody believe you in what you're saying. Now, here's a question for you, since uh, we've been talking about sort of this idea of um, letting the players choose whether they want to try to convince someone, for example, or roll the dice to see if their character can do it. So what do you do then when there may be a conflict between, for example, how good a player is at talking but and how good their character is at talking? Like, would you force them to roll dice then so that it's more like what their character would be capable of? Or do you let them go for it and tell them like, hey, just like keep in mind that your character is not as good of a talker as you? Yes. Um, so I don't, I don't like to force dice rolls. I, I I very much like to let things happen organically. And so if I don't have to make you roll dice, I won't. Uh, however, if you are, if you're playing the generic dumb bard or the dumb barbarian, right? And you're trying to espouse deep philosophical thought <laughs> that has not been, that, that is not, character knowledge but player knowledge i'm gonna be like okay but your character doesn't know this so maybe roll dice or how did you learn the the question then becomes how do you know this right so i always go and and ask the players if it's something that i don't believe their character would know i go to them and go how do you know this and if they give me some and it could be made up i don't care it doesn't have to be pre prefabulated but if you come up with, oh, well, when I was, when my character was five years old, they learned this thing from this person that they really respected. Okay. You gave me a background reason on why you know this. So you know it. Well, it just <laughs> occurred to me another way you could, could handle that is let them give their, their whatever, or, or their, their speech, be it long and verbose or very short, sweet, you know, to the point. <laughs> right. Okay, now have them roll, and and then based on that, it's not how well they did explaining it; it's how the person they're trying to convince perceived it. So I've done that mm-hmm. as well. I've done, especially in D anD. I'll do, uh, I'll do just sort of a a perception check or a uh, uh, what is the term for Persuasion? the? No, what's the term to tell if somebody's lying to you in D anD. D now? Uh, oh. I'm blanking too. I'm sure the audience is yelling at us. You know the one. <laughs> Almost certainly. That that check that you do to tell if somebody's lying to you in D&D, that's the uh 
yep, nope, it's gone. But 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 effectively, you know, does the long verbose whatever set off the the individual? They're you know they roll poorly because they have crappy stats. In all honesty, more than the actual role itself. Insight but, check. Yeah, there you is go. The term. <laughs> um, yeah, there we go. <laughs> but does the does the person they're trying to persuade perceive them as effectively just trying to butter them up and feed them a load of BS? Or if you you know what I'm saying, like you could also play oh, yeah. it that way. It's all situational, <laughs> right? Right. Oh no, and I'm I'm just presenting a, a so to speak another potential tool yeah, yeah no that's that's a lot of fun too to throw that monkey wrench in when when you have players that are talking their way through everything and then just to be like no you're lying <laughs> and you just have a uh let's say a uh they're talking to someone maybe they are telling the truth maybe they are being perfectly honest exactly but you're they're just talking to somebody who just doesn't believe them and and that's life, man. I have talked to so many people that are like, no, that's not how that is. And then you like bring up proof and they're like, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of family that is like, ah, bah, 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 bah. And it's like, well, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I know exactly that pain. And that is translating like that's translating some real world stuff into game stuff that is you might hit a nerve. I don't think you're going to hit a nerve hard enough that it's a, a, a safety breach, but just be aware of that. But yeah, I, I love that. I love doing that where it's just like, no, I, I don't believe you. And for the, then the players scramble. Then they're like, how do I make him believe me? I don't know. Yeah. Just to build on that. Um, you know, I was actually thinking, you know, when Steve was talking about it, you can also effectively use, the content of what the character is supposedly saying to then influence depending on the system obviously and the way things work like a difficulty or giving a bonus or penalty based off of their words or their approach you know if someone is more likely to think you're lying then you know going at it one way might be more effective than going at it a different way. And then you can sort of use both things, the role and, you know, what they're trying to say and put it together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I will. Um, well, I'm not a prefixed difficulty person in general. So I, I oftentimes going into role, like going into sessions, I have no clue what roles are going to be made, what checks are going to be made what those difficulties are, what the difficulty numbers would be or, you know, penalties or any of that. So yeah, that's something I just absolutely roll right into. Well, to, to take the lid off the pot for a second, I sometimes will ask for roles in situations like that. And I have no freaking target number whatsoever in mind. No, 99% of the time. Relatively <laughs> what number comes up on the die? Did they roll well or did they not roll well? I that's have... what I'm looking for. I have rolled dice so many times to be like, okay, what's your difficulty number? <laughs> I sit and fidget. I sit and fidget at the table. So it's not uncommon for me to just be sitting and like bouncing and dice. Well, it takes nothing to bounce a die off the table and use it as an actual roll. So I'll just bounce it off the table and be like, okay, that's the difficulty number. I mean, as long as you're not being like too arbitrary, you know? No, 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 no. no, no, it's, no, no, no. It's, it's not a, it's never a penalizing thing. It's always like, 
Okay, I'm going to set a, a difficulty number. I don't know. I think it's going to be moderately difficult. We'll roll the die. If it's too high, I'm going to roll it again. Like, that's all it is to it. It's like... That's just, fair. Sometimes the players want an exact number, and it's like, I don't have that. Hold on. There. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I gotcha. Well, like, I think for me, and again, I'm not... And, and like you brought up, JT, you do have to be careful about this to a point, right? But just to put it in D&D terms, you know, I might ask them to make a roll and I'm watching to see what roughly what comes up on the die. And basically how far and on which side of 10 it is kind of in my brain is determining how effective they were. You know what I'm saying? Like if it comes up. Steve plays D&Ds with Steve plays D&D with success and failures. <laughs> kind of in a way, right? <laughs> Steve doesn't yeah. have target numbers. Steve has like success and failure numbers. <laughs> well, but like, okay, we'll just say, you know, it, it, but to me, this works kind of good in this, this kind of area where we're talking about where the, the player is good at something the character isn't or vice versa. Right. So you have them roll and, and, and we'll say it comes up a five. Well, so it, or, or, or well, a 15, well, their intention got through. Right. You roll a five, it didn't. Right. Yeah, I, but, I know where you're coming from. I'm just picking on you because that's a that's a mechanic from another game that you just shoehorned right into Dungeons and Dragons, which I love. <laughs> I do it all the time. I'm not I'm not giving you too much hard time because I've done that so much recently and in the past that it's not even funny. It's just like uh target range and then if you crit, we'll talk about something else. Right, but but you know what I'm saying. Like in other words, like Okay, I'm not really looking for your your total number with all your bonuses and whatever. You took a a shot at this thing you really shouldn't have, but I don't want it to be as arbitrary as looking at someone to go high low. The question that comes out of my mouth every time I do that is, "What did you get on dice? What'd you roll on dice? Well, with my number, no, what'd you roll on dice?" And they go, "Oh, okay, I rolled this." I'm like, "All right, <laughs> what's it with your modifiers?" Mm -hmm. Oh, it's this. Okay. All right. That's a different story. Or if the dice number is high enough, I don't care what your modifiers are. Right. Because right. a dirty 20 is not a, not a crit, but a, a natural 20 is, in my opinion, when it comes to skill checks. You're not even supposed to use, you're not even supposed to quote unquote crit on skill checks, but eh, I mean, who's, who's judging us? You would not be the first person to have that opinion. Right. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's why I'll be like, "What'd you roll on dice?" And they'll be like, "Oh, I got a 17. I'm like, "Ah, the hand goes up, the wave comes out. You're good." <laughs> well, I guess to a certain point, what I'm talking about too is is a little bit like you said, like be it success, you know, how many successes in Genesis, or even I think even more, it's a lot more like PBTA, right? Where you have, you know, was it seven and under is a failure, seven to or eight. Six and whatever the range is, it's I'm blanking on it at the moment, but I think it's it's the yeah, three ranges of success and failure, it's, right? It's yeah, usually this it's set like of numbers is a success, nine, I think, and then 10 yeah. plus, yeah, 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 you know. But in a sense, that's almost how I'm viewing their d20 roll, which doesn't work as well because it's not a bell curve, and that's a whole different discussion for another day, and blah blah blah. But that's a conversation with somebody that's good at math, and that ain't me, <laughs> that ain't me. <laughs> Hey, we're I'm talking not, dice 
probability distributions, you know, just let me know the day and time. I'll come on. We'll record another one. <laughs> oh. I I have thoughts for sure about that because I've I've actually written articles and things on the uh, D20 Radio blog about bell curves and stuff like that. So. Well, if you do that, if if you do want to come on and talk about that, that'll make you a unofficial honorary Steve. So, Ooh. well, <laughs> a, a semi unofficial because it it's so I don't know at this point I think it? it's kind of official. I think it's kind of official because it's our podcast. I mean, that's kind of what I mean, right? Like, but the thing is, there are really no benefits or penalties to being an honorary Steve. So, <laughs> as, long, uh, yeah. as long as you like the name Steve, then yeah, yeah as long as you like the name Steve, then you, you're good to go. And we may call you Steve. At we, some may. Point. we may. We may. I would Cooley. be honored. <laughs> Ask Cooley, he'll tell you. <laughs> Yeah, Mike, they called me Steve like 14 times. I, I'm sorry, Huli. I had to do it. I, I think the last time we had him on, we made him do the intro to the show. I think we did. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <coughs> shout out to Huli. Love you, man. But uh, Oh, I'm so excited. He's coming to Gamer Nation Con. They're planning to this year. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, you know, really missed him last time. Yeah. Uh, Where were we? Oh, I have no idea. Talking RPGs. That's where. Oh we were. yeah, yeah. Well, we went down a rabbit hole of dice probability and so forth. Right, right, right. Because of me and my nebulous, see what they rolled on the die comments. Yeah, you know, honestly, as a uh, GM, my style generally is sort of like you know we're all having fun here. If you know the players are having a good time, and if it's like you know what they're doing is going to be fun for the game and the story, I'll generally be pretty liberal with like what i will allow or you know the way that i'll fudge things Mm -hmm. you know as long as it's not like totally game breaking or unfair to like a another player or something like that you know i i'm I'm generally pretty good with that so you know i in terms of like adjusting difficulties or whatever yeah i'm totally with you on that i'm as as long as it you know you know you know seems to fit with what's going on then that's fine I agree. I, I I don't think there's a reason. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. But I don't think right. there's a reason to be super stiff about that. So um, we've we've we're going down a tangent here, but it's our show, so it's okay. So just to to go off what you're saying there, right? It needs to fit. And and I'm in a sense contradicting some of my own arguments here. But are there times where you don't roll because you don't want the dice to say something that you actually don't want to happen? Uh, yeah, actually, um, all the time. Yeah, I, I definitely, as a GM, I like my story. That's like one of the main reasons why I play and run RPGs is I love sort of getting into the stories. And I love the fact that you can play games where every participant has a chance to contribute to the story and you get to shape it together. And a lot of times I end up thinking of the games I play as sort of like a novel or a movie or something like that. And so I try to think like, you know, if I were reading this in a book or if I were watching this, like what would be awesome to see or like what what would I want to see happen? And as long as it doesn't feel like I'm railroading the players or I'm really doing something that they don't want, because I am very conscious usually, especially when I'm the GM of, you know, like what the players want to happen versus what I would like to happen, sort of try to find the balance there. But I will say like, oh yeah, you know, don't even bother rolling for this. I love that you said this or this argument, you know, I think that that totally makes sense. 
you know, go ahead and, you know, you, know, you convince them or something like that. Or, you know, like, oh, I wasn't even thinking about you, you know, using your whip to swing across the chasm. That's awesome. You know, I'm not even going to have you roll for that. I think that that just happens kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's really just like in service of the story. And, you know, as long as it doesn't feel like. I'm taking any of the drama or excitement out of the situation, then I will just go with it. That kind of circles back to the thing I brought up, you know, early on about how are you participating in the story, right? You know, are you first person view or third person view? Or yeah. are you the GM and you're a thousand yard view? <laughs> yeah. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I have absolutely it, it, it coming towards the end of this last D and D campaign I ran uh, or the, the last first part or the last of the first part of this D campaign I'm running. I was laughing out loud at the <laughs> political ramifications of some of the things that they were doing because as the GM, I'm sitting there going, Oh no. Oh no. They don't know. Oh, they don't know. You haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, and I, you know, it's weird because in a way we went off track of the player knowledge, character knowledge thing, but in a way we're all sort of still talking about how you deal with that split. Yeah. Uh, you know what no, I mean? We're, we're, we're doing the thing we do. We're giving right. helpful tools to help and deal with that problem. Mm-hmm. And not to sound like a broken record again, but uh, again, it really just goes back sort of to like, you know, what, what, what is your, uh, what is your group all about? And, you know, like as long as you have, a good understanding sort of of the sort of game you're trying to play that will guide you in terms of things like, oh, well, uh, do I just sort of, you know, write it off and just let it happen? Or are we playing the sort of game where players want there to be, you know, dice are, are you know, arbitrating, you know, what happens or not sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And as long as, as long as, uh, you and i'm talking of course as you know mostly from the perspective of the gm just because i tend to gm most of my games um which is another story but uh (laughs) is that a is that your you sound like me much to my chagrin i gm most of my game i mean honestly i i i love gming and i love the storytelling and world world building and stuff i do love getting a chance to play so every once in a while have one of my players be like hey you want to run a one shot i'm happy to let you, you know, take over for a session or whatever, and then we'll do something. But, uh, but yeah, yeah I, uh, absolutely took uh, a month after this first part of the D and D campaign wrapped up and was like, okay, guys, uh, no more D and D for right now. Uh, you run something for me. I'll run some more stuff for you. And we're going to make this a more symbiotic relationship because I love GMing, but boy, do I like playing these games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, but not, but not to get too far uh, off of uh, where oh, I was yeah. going with things, though. Sorry. Um, no, no, it's fine. But yeah. So, if, like from the GM perspective, then, um, as long as I can sort of find that happy medium where sort of like my interests and the players' interests uh, overlap, and like I'll understand, like, okay, you know, this player really likes to be challenged as a player. This player isn't very good at talking and like hates being put in the situation where they actually have to say what the character's saying, you know, things like that. You know, I, I, I just try to work that out and, you know, make sure that I am accommodating the group as best as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel that. And trying to 
it's it's the luxuries of playing with a long-term group that that comes with and i've done my best to try and get to the bottom of asking people what type of player they are how comfortable they are with role play and what that means to them i think that's the question that when i say the word role play what does that mean to you and that i get wildly different answers out of different people and if they're comfortable with it i i want them to expound on it more if they're not comfortable with role play that's great i understand exactly where you're coming from i don't really need a ton more information out of you because i know what you're you're not comfortable with at that point right like mm-hmm. i'll ask what's where's the line what are you not you know what are you apprehensive about okay cool i'm not going to make you cross that line that's fine unless you want to <laughs> i think too the answer to that question also gives you kind of an idea where their line about player knowledge versus character knowledge is or where their perception of that line is, I guess. You know what I'm saying? I agree. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'm with you too. Like, I, I think it, it is. And you know, we've, we've said it over and over again all night, but I think the, the biggest thing about, you know, player knowledge versus character knowledge is how does the table you're at want to handle that? And you know, that's a group decision in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, with certain things like, you know, just for for reference, right, you wouldn't want Grog from Critical Roles Campaign 1 designing some sort of very complicated mechanical contraption. You'd want <laughs> Percy you? to do that. Or would you? <laughs> but at the same point, there were times in that campaign where Travis as Grog made some very impassioned speeches, and he was very good at doing it in a voice and in what seemed like thoughts that would come to grog yeah i i think that's again coming back to the what are you comfortable with what's the line how far into role play before you become eh, and and that's getting people out of their shell and and breaking down like some of that is people are eh, about people they don't know and that's fine and they're you know we're all here to do the same thing and i i get it it's scary but getting people out of their shell getting people used to talking to people that they don't know and getting them to introduce their character in a way helps that and i i've i've played growing up and and playing the games that i've played i played with people who were socially awkward socially you know quiet you know, it's it's one of those things where I learned as an early GM that getting people out of their shell helps the entire table and getting people comfortable with the table is a huge thing. And some people's comfortable is very different from other people's comfortable. And that's just how it is. And learning how to gauge somebody and be like, what are you cool with? What are you not cool with? How far into role play do you get? Or how far do you not get into role play? Do you just here for combat? Oh, that's cool. I uh, I run maybe a little bit more role play heavy game, so that might not be the best fit. But if you feel it isn't, you know you're welcome to express that. Or I'll try to change how I game a little bit more to be more you know accommodating towards that. Um, I've been playing too much D and D because I've been thinking in D and D terms, but that's just how life has been recently. But yeah, I, I think getting people comfortable out of their shell and comfortable with the table is is the first step into figuring out where that character knowledge and where that player knowledge line comes in. Very well said. 
And um, yeah, you know, it kind of, we did sort of mention it offhand, but like sort of we've been alluding to things like safety tools, for example, um, you know, Huge. In terms of making people Huge. feel comfortable and make sure that everyone knows that, you know, you're gaming in a safe environment and you're not going to force anyone to do anything they're not comfortable with. And making sure that um, that can change on the fly, too. It can adapt to the, you know, individuals and groups' needs. And that goes both ways. You know, maybe someone started out really not feeling comfortable uh, with certain topics or with, you know, speaking as a character. But if they want to give it a try or, you know, they're feeling, you know, more open to it, then definitely encourage them to, you know, do that if that's something that they're interested in, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Make sure that you encourage them. Make sure that you're a positive voice when they want to role play. Mm -hmm. Because I played at a table one time where the, the GM was like, well, I didn't think you wanted to talk. I was like, dude, read the room. That is not the answer to that question. And and I was uh, I had to pull the GM aside and be like, hey, man, no, not cool. Like, that's not OK. Yeah. And being able to to call people out and it, it, like, don't if if somebody's going to do that, they're going to step out of their shell and, and put themselves in a position that they're not, you know, that they're they're comfortable enough to be in that position. But it it's a vulnerable spot for them. Mm -hmm. Be encouraging, be positive, you know, hey, that was great. That was awesome. You know, if, whenever you want to do that, do that more. And encouraging that is huge, 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 especially for you know, players with very social awkwardness, you know, it, people that are shy, people that are, you know, I get a lot, I've played with a lot of new players that are like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, well, okay, that's fine. Everybody starts somewhere. Like you don't have to know everything. That's okay. And, and, you know, there's resources, you know, whether you want to, you can be as involved in learning that as, as involved as you want to be. If you want to learn as you go, that's how I did it. I didn't listen to podcasts. There weren't podcasts when I started. Well, Steve, you were the same way. And I think JT, you probably were too. There weren't yeah. really podcasts when we started gaming. And so you had to learn these, you know, tips and tricks and techniques and, and, you know, how to do things just by doing them just by, oh, I, I did this, this one time it worked really well. I'm going to carry that through going forward, mm -hmm. you know? And, and that's just how it is. That's just sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles <laughs> for lack Back of Back in my thing. day, we didn't have iTunes. I, I, uh, <laughs> Back in my day, we didn't have the Internet to play these <laughs> dang old video games with. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I but yeah, it's, I, I don't mean to sound like an old curmudgeon, but that's that's just how it is. Sometimes well, you got to learn it here, the hard you way. You sounded like the old head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the youngest person here, but you know I'm an old soul. Oh, no, anyways, no, I'm just giving you crap, dude. <laughs> are you? Are you the youngest? I I wasn't aware. I'm uh, freshly thirty as of the end of July. Oh wow, yeah, then yeah. you are the youngest. Wow. But yeah, I uh, Steve knows I'm 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 the weirdest thirty year old. <laughs> well, you self described your as an old soul. I think early on in our friendship. Yeah. I feel that I feel like I am an old soul, especially how my knees feel most days. I woke <laughs> up, uh, I woke up this morning and I was like, Oh, I sound like rice Krispie treats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm all too familiar, familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, to your point about being a weird 30 year old, I remember um, I actually used to have this T-shirt that I think was like a Felicia Day fundraising thing that I had supported. And it said, embrace your weird. And I love yes. that shirt. Yes. So I am all about that. And I fully support you in your weirdness. <laughs> uh, well, I think let's go ahead and get into final thoughts on this subject. And then we will move into the next part of the podcast. Yes. So basically what I think that we've gotten from this is that there's only one right way to play. You <laughs> yeah, know, the yeah. GMs uh -huh. wear the highway. Um, you know, make sure to make all of your players role play no matter what. Um, no, make sure kidding. nobody is comfortable at the table. Yeah. The goal is to make everyone as uncomfortable as possible. If they're not questioning having played with you in the first place, then you're not doing it right. Oh, man. If that means buying the worst folding chairs possible to put around your table and then you get the recliner. Oof. <laughs> I oh, man. I there, That's a story. I played with a guy that that was the situation. I, I felt bad. I ended up bringing my own camp chair because I was like, I'm just I have a comfy chair. If you don't mind, I can bring it. He's like, yeah, that's fine. He was like not used to having people at his apartment so he didn't have chairs he had a recliner a table and like one chair and he'd gone out and bought the cheapest plastic chairs he could get now this is not somebody that it's not like this guy didn't have the means to get nicer chairs he just didn't have the want to get nicer chairs oh, and so we're all sitting there on these cheap terrible plastic chairs and i'm like i am i am too big for this little chair like, hey, dude, you mind if I go to my car and get my camp chair? He's like, yeah, no, that's brought a problem. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't talk to that guy anymore, so I don't mind calling him out. <laughs> I, I think I can see why. But Yeah. Uh... <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I, I agree. Make sure your players are as comfortable as they can be. And, uh, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. So your comfort, their comfort, it all goes back and forth. And if you can't accept that, that's too bad, you know. And yeah, uh, there may be situations where uh, player knowledge may be the way to go. Uh, and there are sometimes when uh, character knowledge may be the way to go. I think we've sort of established and that there's no one right answer for that mm -hmm. in the end. Much like much of this hobby, there is no one right answer. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Uh, so I guess with, with that mostly being said, uh, I know you do host when it has things uh prime by cortex but you had told us you know off the air that you guys are kind of on a bit of a hiatus now just due to scheduling um do you yeah, have anything else you want to want to plug or anything else just you know while you're on here with us oh man um you know off the top of my head nothing nothing personally for me but uh i mean I, i'm probably preaching to the choir here but just check out all the awesome stuff we have on uh, d20 radio we have so many awesome shows uh many of which you know bring out new content way more than i and kirby do uh but uh uh and also blog blog posts you know i was a writer for uh the d20 radio blog for a while too and uh my poster's still on there if you want to go check that out i guess if i want to give myself a little plug that um, was what i was going to ask is the blog back then we have blog again uh not not really i, I you know I, I was actually sort of like on the staff for a while for the blog oh i, I mean oh writing, okay but right. but um you know i have been looking into uh blogging again and you know i 
I mean, I guess keep your eyes peeled. You might see a post or two from me Fair. at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Yeah. Well, with that being said, let's go ahead and move into game of the week. Woohoo! Game of the week. Woo. Game of the week. Game of the week. Uh, so you've been on before, uh, but would you like me or Steve to go first, or would you like to go, JT? Uh, I'll let you two go. I'm interested to see what you say. And uh, all right, all right. Yeah, I have one. If you uh, if you want me to go first, or if yeah, you sure. want to go first, it's up to you. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Are you too familiar with the idea of liminal space? Sort mm. of a an empty space that creeps the soul. Uh, I think think in the abstract, but not okay. specifically. Right. So liminal space is, it, to my understanding, I could be you know way off base with this, but every time I've seen a liminal space, it's usually like an empty abandoned mall. It is perfectly mundane, however, uh, just bizarre in how empty and open it is right it's a space that you can't quite explain the unease so i have a game that runs off powered by the apocalypse called liminalius uh that is around the idea of liminal spaces um it's a horror game i'm gonna get it to you in the green room okay that way you know where to be looking for that it's a collaborative storytelling game inspired by powered by the apocalypse. Uh, it says it takes the players through a journey of eerie and unsettling location. Uh, it perfectly blends familiar, nostalgic and disturbing elements to keep your players on edge. Expect a unique gaming experience that will challenge your imagination and creativity. And I have not that I've been incredibly familiar with the liminal space stuff, but I've been curious to see how it could be included into role-playing games. And I'm very excited for six bucks. I'm getting my hands on this, right? Like, well, I was actually about to ask, like, have you played it already? Cause it looks like it like just came out on drive. I, I did not play it yet. Um, I'm going to get my hands on it. I, I don't know when I'll get it on a table, hopefully here in October, uh, because you know, spooky season is upon us. I was going to say, it looks like a good Halloween-type game. So Yeah, it, it looks like a good... The best way I could put this is it looks like a good horror game for people that aren't quite into horror gaming, right? Like, people nice. that aren't quite down for the full, uh, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about that whole spooky thing. I don't like being scared too much. Oh, yeah, well, let's play this game that's about spooky places. Um, so, yeah, that's the one I picked for this week. Yeah, Liminalius. That looks interesting. Very cool. It does, doesn't it? Like conceptually, that's a and that kind of place of unease is a thing I really like to do in horror games. You, so. you do. I know you do. <laughs> but the, okay, side tangent. Your place of unease is my place of like, oh, I'm at home because <laughs> I played your Delta Green game that took everybody into the woods, and they're all like, "How long to a phone?" And I'm like, "Oh, sweet. Oh, the but- sweet release of silence." <laughs> Well, right, but but okay, just you know that game. I could tell, and this is someone the the, the player specifically that I know was I was getting to with that. I don't think I'd ever played with him before. Oh, we okay, only on Discord, and I could tell the he fact was, that there was no cell service was like really making him. him twitch. Yeah, yeah. No, I was like, oh, this sounds like Uncle Merle's farm. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> My parents' house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. 
no, this yeah, this seems like it's right right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. I, I thought it I it seemed like my wheelhouse, and I was like, you know what? This might overlap with Steve a little bit. Oh, just a touch. It's already in my cart, to be honest. So <laughs> uh, okay. Move it on. Who's next? You want me to go or you want to, JT? I'll I'll save mine for last, I think. All right. Well, I'm gonna go with uh a little quick little game I found on drive through today. It's it's been on there for a little while now. It's a little game, all of uh eight pages, so you can print it on both sides of all of four sheets of paper. And that's actually kind of one of their selling points. Um it's a game called Quantum Starfarer. Hmm. It is quite a name. Uh, I'm intrigued. Now, now I will warn you to get the PDF of this, it's going to cost you a whole dollar. Twist my arm, why don't you? Oof, yeah, breaking the bank that, there. You know, their description is starships riding fire across the sky, heroes and villains exchanging laser fire, desperate spacers struggle against an alien monstrosity, vast alien vistas, flying cities, moonscapes, mad robots, and first encounters. High action science fiction adventure that stimulates your sense of wonder. Now on four double-sided four. pages. Yeah, yeah. Um, says, you know, quick character generation personal vehicle, starship combat, starship design, procedural world generation, and a quick equipment guide. Now, how they cram this all onto eight pages, I don't know. But... Uh, is this the game we play Space Smokey and the Bandit with? It might be. I mean, we already did that in in um, Retro Star once, but... Yeah, That well, story is too much fun. If we do Smokey and the Bandit 2 in this one, I got you. <laughs> Uh, or we do the scrapped Smokey and the Bandit too, which is Smokey is the Bandit. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. That was that was the scrap. That was supposedly that movie was shot and was so bad that they said, "No, we're not releasing this." Oh wow. Um, but it actually also the PDF apparently comes as a three pack because they give it to you if if you're not from the U.S. And you use those those metric paper sizes. It comes oh. formatted in both A4 and U.S. letter, as well as a laptop and tablet-friendly A5 format. So uh, all that for a mere dollar. Or the print-on-demand options will cost you $4 plus shipping. Oh, it's um, really nice. I mean, hey, look, I, I it looks like it probably has, you know, kind of going to back to what we were talking about yesterday, or yesterday, last yesterday. week some some really good you know like generation inspiration type tables and stuff and yeah. for a buck uh, yeah i can't argue with that i, mean, I love procedural <laughs> world generation so oh uh, you should have been on last week then uh well i mean if i had an invitation you uh, well technically you 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 brought this idea to me like a few hours before we were recording this is true yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last week. Uh, but yeah, that's mine. It's called Quantum Starfarer. Definitely have to check that one out, too. I'm starting to rethink this whole coming on the show thing because it feels yeah, like every time is. I come on, I'm ending like spending a few bucks, you know, at the end for the games of the week. And uh, be completely it, honest. And this is this is the truth. I have been very budget conscious about my games of the week because I have spent too much money on this podcast. You're coming from the guy who used Invisible Sun. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> that's a game. That's a that's oh like a thousand dollar game at this point. I was gonna say like a hundred if I had remembered from the Kickstarter, but now you're probably right at this point. 
Yeah, because it just keeps that just keeps being more. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just I never threw money. I I never actually got to throw money at Invisible Sun. But yeah, I bring it up. And ever since then, I've been like, I got to be a little bit more budget conscious because that's outside of my means. (laughs) Well, I I don't mind going off off the rails with the uh, budget for mine. But I I don't mind. The wife does. Uh, what you got, JT? Yeah, so um, when you mentioned Dread earlier, actually, Steve, it reminded me of another game I had played. Uh, and actually, the first time I played it was at Gamer Nation Con, not the uh, last one, but uh, GNC7. And it's called Icarus. And it's a storytelling game. And the tagline, a collaborative storytelling game about how great civilizations fall. And so um, the idea here is that you're actually using dice to build a tower, not uh, Jenga tiles. Uh, So uh, if you get the hard copy of the game, actually it comes with the dice and they're sort of like flat sided or rounded dice, which work pretty well for the stacking. Played Um, this. I played this. Okay. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, But the idea is that uh, you start out with a premise of a great civilization and it can be like any type of thing you could think of. And they have some um, prompts for it. So they've got like a fantasy one, a cyberpunk one. They've got like something akin to Atlantis. But basically whatever you're doing, you know, Wild West, Frontier. uh, But you have the civilization. And each player ends up playing a basically a single character. But that character is going to represent a different aspect of your civilization. And there are like sort of cards that get dealt randomly. So you find out what aspect the character you're creating is going to represent. So it might be like the economy or the energy or law and order or things like that. And so you come up with a character uh, premise based off of that. And what you end up doing is every round you're going around and everyone is talking about what their character is doing. Um, to affect some sort of change in the society. And, oh, I, I forgot to mention, actually, this would make more sense if I mentioned that uh, every character also has, like, a particular motivation um, that is also sort of determined with cards. And so your your motivation may be, you know, to protect, you know, the civilization's citizens. Or there's actually one where it's you're trying to bring about the downfall of the civilization. Um you could also have, uh, you know, like to become, you know, the leader of the civilization, whatever. There's just a bunch of stuff. But basically everyone is creating changes to what's going on and like what their character is doing in pursuit of their motivations or to try to like fix problems, whatever. And you're rolling the dice in order to see whether or not you succeed. And depending on whether or not you succeed, you can either successfully make the change or something goes wrong and you make the situation worse. And in addition to that, if you fail your role to make the change you want, then that die ends up getting stacked on top of this dice tower. And so as you're going along and people keep failing, you're stacking more and more dice on this tower. And as soon as that dice tower falls, that represents the end of the civilization. And you sort of wrap up the story and based off of what was going on when it happens, you sort of come up with the story about how the civilization ended up finally falling. Yeah, it's it's really freaking cool. I, yeah, I, I don't think I'm doing it justice with my experience. No, no, no. You are. You are. It's it. It's a hard. 
it's a hard game conceptually to explain and and it you are just about right on the money with with what's happening i had a player come to me and be like i want to play this and i was like yeah yeah um because he had bought it and he's like i i wanted to try this and i bought it and i read it and i'd like to run it i'm like go for it because this sounds awesome yeah that's a really cool game yeah and i i definitely recommend it for people who like um sort of that collaborative world building aspect and, well he's uh, yeah, yeah just just a little insight on that player he's been on a, a collaborative word, world building kick he got this whole i don't remember the company it's a whole bunch of like tablet tabletop rpgs where they're like the size of like a note tablet and they're really cool but yeah he he was talking about that it's super awesome super awesome yeah it's a lot of fun and uh i actually the first time i played it i remember i was playing it incorrectly and i was like man why is it taking so long for this tower to fall and it's because i didn't realize that you had to add the dice that were failing to the dice tower and not just like I was I think I was just like increasing it by one every turn but it's supposed to go a lot faster because you're adding it whenever you fail a roll basically so yeah yeah no this looks really neat I like the concept behind it for certain yeah and they even mention in the description for the game too I think that uh, it can be used kind of like as a session zero tool as well like if you wanted to create a setting and granted, you know, the civilization falls by the end of the game. But if you want to go at any point in the history or like at the beginning of where you start with it, then you could then take those characters and the different events and incorporate that into a campaign that you play in. So I thought that was pretty cool, too. No, this. Yeah. I mean, this would be great like that. Like and even like, yeah, that, that would be really cool. And then like, so, yeah, you do this and then you play a story within that city and something else leading up to that fall. Yeah. And like when I've done it in the past, um, you know, you end up creating just a whole bunch of other things incidentally in telling your story. So like, I remember we did like an Atlantis type civilization in one game and we talked about all the different nations and how they were competing sources and stuff. So then uh, I had been thinking about like, Oh man, we have like the perfect setup here. Like if we wanted to have, like these different nations, you know, going at it in like a role playing campaign. It just got my brain turning. So, yeah, it's a, it, oh, I love it. I love, I love this age of taking this hobby and turning it on its head. Oh, so lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really is. But with all that being said, at the time that the folks are hearing this, you just missed PGX. Unfortunately, yep. I'm not able to go uh, or was not able to attend uh, due to coming down with COVID uh, the week of the con, because, of course, that's my life. Uh, but I'm sure, Steve, you'll have a great time this weekend or we'll have had a great time this upcoming yes. weekend in the forward past tense. I anticipate having very much of a good time by the time you all hear me say this. <laughs> JT, we want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Mm -hmm. As always, you're welcome back anytime you have a topic you want to talk about. It sounds like maybe we'll be talking the probabilities of dice at some point. Yeah, I'll try to make it a little bit more interesting than that sounds if we do something like that. But yeah, no, I will. I will do my best to understand what you're saying, because <laughs> me and math are not friends. <laughs> I'll, I'll make it as math friendly as possible. How's that? Um, but, but yeah, no, thanks for letting me invite myself. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for welcome. letting me invite myself on your <laughs> podcast. 
It's like when it's it's when you have a really close friend and they know they can just show up at your house. <laughs> they know it's okay if yeah, they just raid show the up. fridge, you know, just yeah. sort of lounge around and <laughs> Hey Matt's here. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but as always, links to everything are in the show notes. Facebook, Discord, um, Patreon. Again, I'll remind everyone if you're listening on Apple Music or uh, Apple Podcasts, I should say, or any podcast app that lets you rate us, please give us a rating. If it's five stars, feel free to leave it. If it's one star, send us an email. It's down there as well. The fact of it is, is that if you like this podcast, leaving us a review helps the podcatchers promote us automatically, just sort of uh, organically to other people that like the same stuff. And we would love to, the bigger our audience is, the better our podcast is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not saying that a small audience makes us a bad podcast. I'm just saying that we have a fantastic community over at the discord that is always calling me out on anything. And we just have a lot of great conversations. Uh, if you come join the discord, you might get the opportunity to play games with me. I, who knows? I might be running something this Saturday just because I can't leave the house and I have a game prepped. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah, but as always, we want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. See ya. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Well, yeah, uh, <clears throat> that's the thing I forgot to mention to you about before. <laughs> okay, well, we'll we'll cut this intro and do it again. All right, yeah, cool. that's fine. We can do, we can fix it in post. We can <laughs> fix that in post. All right. So what well, happened? We, we, we... <laughs>